Welcome to the audio podcast ministry of The Bridge. In all that we do, our priority is to lead all people from all places to be all in with Jesus. We hope that by providing this message in this way, it will be an encouragement to those of you who have already decided to follow Jesus, as well as a way home for those of you who have not yet said yes to Him. You can find out more, as well as support this ministry, by going to bridgeclarksville.com. We're in a series called Change, and we're looking at the changes that take place in all of our lives when we change from being the person we were to the person God is recreating us to be. And there's a book in the Bible, a letter, literally, uh, called Galatians, and it's written to a group of believers in a city called Galatia, and those Christians were struggling with the changes that were going on. We talked about being a, a people pleaser, moving to being a God pleaser, and another change that, that God's bringing about in our lives. And today we're going to take a look at the third one. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Galatians. We're going to look at the end of chapter two, and then we'll jump into chapter three. If you've got your uh, Bible app on your phone, it should be quick. If you have a, a real Bible in your hands, I use real, not in a looking down on you way, but you know, like a, a hard, a, a, a literal thing, non, uh, non-media, um, you can get to the table of contents and find it because it's a small letter in the very back. Um, but Galatians talks about change, and it's a change that you and I are going through as well, from being the person we were to the being the person God is recreating us to be. Um, It's not an easy process. It's not an easy transformation. And it wasn't even them. Now, the end of chapter two has words that feel like they've been built up getting ready for this moment, almost like you had verse and verse and verse, and now you're crescendoing to this chorus. And in verse 20, Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, if you've been following Jesus for very long at all, you've probably encountered that verse, those words. You might not have known where in the Bible they were. Um, He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Whatever I was is no more. Everything I am is now in, through, and because of Jesus. Now, Paul, the author of the letter to this church, wrote those words, and then he gives application for it in the very next verse. In verse 21, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. What he's saying is, I have been introduced into this relationship with God through faith, faith alone and Christ alone. And now that I'm in this relationship, I'm not now during the change process going to go back to the old way where I'm putting myself under all the rules and all the laws and everything else that I thought was following God before I got to this point. He said, ultimately, Jesus died for me. And if I could have gotten all that he's given me by just following the law, then he died for nothing. Like this wasn't even necessary. And he knows, and you and I know, that God did not send his son to die for us just as a way of going, how could I really show him I love him? I'll just sacrifice my son. It was the only way, and there was not another way to be made right with him. The sacrifice was necessary. So the author of the letter, Paul, is saying, I can't just set aside that grace now and go back to living under the law. Now, most of us know what it's like to do everything right and still miss out. 
to do the right things, say the right things, wear the right things, be the first to arrive, the last to leave, bite my tongue even when I wanted to say something, just show respect, show honor, do everything that the coach or teacher or boss or whoever it is asked of me, and I still didn't get the job. I still didn't get the promotion. I still didn't have the opportunity. I still didn't get the girl. I did everything that was asked of me, and it still didn't work out. And when you have those experiences, you can't help but just say, what was the point? Why did I work so hard if this is how it was going to unfold? Why do all this if there is no reward? And it's a frustrating feeling. And there was a vocal but a very influential minority in this church in Galatia. And they had spent their entire lives trying to follow every law that God had given them, trying to do their best so that at the very end, they could look back and say, I did it. I followed all the rules. I did everything right. And now Paul is writing to them, giving them this understanding of the gospel in which all those laws were never gonna work. And so now they're faced with going, what's the point then? If Paul is right, if we're saved just by grace, if we don't have to do all these things and follow all these rules to keep God happy, then what's the point? Why do we do all of this? And as you and I look into this question, I think it's something that we wrestle with more than we realize. Now, when we think about the law, we think about the 10 commandments. Moses was given these 10 commandments by God. He gave them to the people. But God had people around long before those rules were there. He created Adam and Eve and didn't give them a heads up. Hey, there are going to be 10 commandments later on, but you guys don't know how to write yet, so I, I can't give them to you. So I'm, that's not how it worked. God created man and woman, and he said, trust me. Just trust me. I'm going to give you instructions. Trust me. I'm going to give you very few things to do. Just trust me. Trust that I care about you. Trust that I created you and love you, will sustain you, watch over you. Just trust me. He didn't say, now I've created you, do everything I said, or you're going to hell. Like that wasn't a thing. That's maybe what you and I read into it, but Adam and Eve had this, not law, but had this understanding of trust with their maker. Years later, there's a man named Abram and God shows up and says, I'm giving you a promise that I'm gonna create a nation through you. And then there would be another 430 years after that before God actually gave Moses the 10 commandments. So prior to that, you just had Adam and Eve with this trust relationship with God, but they broke it. And this is important uh, to understand so that we can grasp what we're gonna read next. But when they broke the law, God banished them from home. He said, you have rebelled against me. You're not perfect. You're not worthy of being in my presence since you can't come into this place. And they were kicked out of the garden. But God then turned to the enemy, to the deceiver, to Satan himself and said, you'll get your licks in, but there's going to come a time when an offspring of Adam and Eve, a seed of Eve is going to show up and he's going to crush your head. Mark my words. So you've got this promise of this upcoming seed that eventually an offspring of Eve is going to make things right. Well, later on, obviously you have the law and people's attention turned from this trust relationship of waiting on the promise, waiting on the promise to it's all about the law because it's easier to follow rules than it is to lean into a promise. So the rules, the law became the basis of faith for all the, all the people for thousands of years. It was about keeping the law. 
Now we get to verse 19. Because Paul then understands that if the law was not able to do all the things they wanted the law to do, what's the purpose? So he wrote, why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator, which was Moses. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. And paragraphs like that are why most people stop studying the Bible. <laughs> like, what did, what did you just say? Oh, it's, there's a lot there. And I would feel the same way if I'm sitting out there and just having that read to me. I, I get that. He said, the law was added because of their sin, because of the transgressions. Now, there's a little bit of a difference in those words. In other words, there was already sin, but they didn't even know what was going on. They just knew things were off. Things were dying. Relationships were dying. Physically, things were falling apart and dying. They knew something was off, but it wasn't until the law showed up that they understood, oh, I broke that law. It was a little bit of a new concept to them, and we'll get a hold of that in just a moment. He said, but it was given as a way to bridge the gap between the time of the promise and the time the promise was fulfilled. In between time, there are these rules. There are these laws that are given. He goes on in verse 23 and says, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. He talked about the law as being a guardian, and that was not an unusual concept for them. During this time, when the people in Galatia got this letter, a guardian was a slave who was given charge of taking care of the younger children until they could be a part of the work in the master's house. That was their understanding. So there was someone who was under the master who babysat the kids until they were able to be a part. So interestingly, Paul says, that's what the law is. It's like the guardian. It's watching over you until that time that the father can bring you in to experience everything that it is to be his child. The law was a babysitter. The law was a guardian watching over you. And this was revolutionary for them, and I think it is for us now. I granted there are a lot of different words that are odd to us, but I would say if most of you Ask your non-Jesus friends, and I hope you have some. We all should be on mission and sharing that with as many people as we can. If you were to ask your non-Jesus friends, hey, what do you think my faith is ultimately about? What is the foundation, the essence of faith and of following God? Most people would say, well, you, you follow God's rules. You keep his rules. You keep his laws. You thou shalt this and you thou shalt not that. that that's kind of what they would look at 
following Jesus. But that's just not true. Nothing could be more wrong than that. Faith was never about following rules. Faith has always been about trusting a father. When you and I think about what faith means and what faith is, faith is not following rules. Faith is trusting a father. It's always been that way. Adam and Eve didn't have rules to go by. All they had was this trust of a father. You say, well, if, if that's the case, then what good is the law? Let me share with you a couple of things. Number one, the law reveals the truth of who we are. The law, one of the purposes is that it reveals the truth of who we are. The people of God, if you had asked them years and years and years ago, are you good people? They would say, yeah, we're good people. And then God gave the law and it's as if they looked at it and said, whoa, maybe, uh, maybe not. If you'd asked the people that Moses was leading, are you good? They would have compared themselves to the Egyptians who had them enslaved and they would say, yeah, we're good people. And then Moses came down and he shared the law with them. And there was a time, believe it or not, when some of the things that you think are just obvious were not as obvious to you. Some of you are all buttoned up, you look successful, you look like you've kind of mastered your thing in life and you're sitting here in a church on a Sunday morning all put together. But believe it or not, there was a time when you got in trouble for biting your friends. Like that was a thing. And some of you are way beyond that. Like, I don't think that happened. Yeah. Some, some of you were those kids that got put in timeout in preschool because you couldn't stop biting people. Like that, that's a weird thing. But at some point, a guardian or a parent had to say to you, you can't bite people. That's not right. Now, that was the thing. Some of you were nose pickers and you know it. <laughs> and there was a parent or a guardian that said, don't do that. And don't eat. The, oh, don't do that. Don't. That was the thing. And if you had never been told, you spend the rest of your lives biting your friends and eating your boogers. Like that just becomes a thing for you. You say, no one's that. You had to be told. Some of you were told at two or three. Some of you got to kindergarten and thought, oh, whoa, what is going on? And then your dad was like, I thought it was obvious. Like, don't eat that. Like, you don't do that. People make fun of you. Like, you didn't know. And the people gathered around Moses. Moses came down and said, God's given me 10 commandments. They said, why do we need those? He plopped down and said, okay, you need to tell the truth and stop lying. Huh, why? What the, who does that? The, he literally had to say, don't kill your neighbor. And they were like, come on, man. Like, well, how are we supposed to get? That was a thing for them to go, what do you mean? And so they're back and forth. Like, it's not a silent thing, perhaps. Moses is there saying, listen, you don't need to be jealous over something someone else has. You need to be content with what God's given you. Don't covet. They're like, what do you, what do you mean? But I want that. Like, it was different for them. And we, we see this through a completely different lens. And he said, and by the way, don't have sex with anyone you're not married to. And then it got quiet in all of Israel. They just thought, oh. Okay, next one, next one, just moving on. It was a very, very different moment for them because the law revealed to them who they really were. Prior to, maybe they would have said, why is this happening? Why would God do this? Why would he be so mean? Why would he not provide this? We're good people. Moses said, here is goodness. And they backed up and said, oh, I guess not. The law reveals that. And God gave it to reveal to the people where they were in this goodness 
perspective that they had. Secondly, the law reveals the truth of who God is. Every house rule reveals a little bit about the owner of the home. If I come to your house to visit, the rules might be a little different, but because that's, you're different than me and you've got different things that you value. If you go to someone else's home, same thing. The rules tell us something about the person there. And when God gave those rules, and if you look back even just to those 10 commandments now, you realize God was saying, I am faithful and I want an exclusive relationship with you. And I want you to trust me and I want you to honor me. And I value that person sitting next to you because, so I want you to value them too because I created them. I breathed them into existence. They mean something to me. So don't look down on them just because you're having trouble dealing with them. I love them. He was telling them so much about himself. He was revealing his character in the rules, in the laws, in the, the ways in which he told them to live. Thirdly, the law reveals the truth of what God expects. It might seem obvious, but there was a time when God's people looked around and said, we can't do this. We're not keeping all these, but we did our best. And there's nowhere in the story of God where God looks down on his people and he cried tears of joy because they tried hard. Like that's not, that's not a thing. I did my best. Well, good for you. My standard is much more than doing your best. It's perfection. It's holiness. It's why I banished Adam and Eve from the garden and I don't care how many rules you keep, you're never going to be able to get to this point because I expect much more. And then fourth, the law reveals the truth of what we need. We can say, oh, I need friends, or I need money, or I need a job, or I need encouragement, or I need this, or I need that. But the law shows up and we're like, oh, I actually just, I just need forgiveness and hope. I need life, that's what I need. And the law is what shows us what our real needs are. The works as a mirror, a mirror in front of us. We can say, well, I, I need a good day. I need some encouragement. I need someone to be nice to me. You can look at a mirror and go, actually, I just need to brush my hair. Like that's what needs to happen. I thought I needed this. This is actually the first and most important thing here. But the trick is the law can't do that for you. The law can't clean you up. It can just show you, you need to be cleaned up. And Paul was writing saying, the law was never going to be able to clean you people up and get you to a point where you're able to be in unbroken fellowship with God. The law can just show you the problem and show you what you really, really, truly need. Now, are there benefits to following God's rules? Of course, physical, emotional, mental. Think about all the ways you could have saved yourself some heartache if you had just trusted him and done what he asked you to do. Of course, there are benefits. But in the end, we're not following God's laws to be able to earn God's favor. We're following them to honor a God who has saved us. So we're talking about this change and the change from rules to relationship is a change from following rules to trusting a father. That is ultimately the change that the people were struggling with that Paul was trying to share with them. It's a change from following rules, a mindset of I gotta do this, thou shalt this, thou shalt not that. I gotta do this, I gotta do this because I need God's favor to a relationship where they say, God, you are my dad and I'm gonna trust you in this. I'm not gonna look at it as rules to keep me in the house. I'm just gonna look at it as a way of displaying my trust in you. Now, it's difficult to use this imagery for a lot of us. And maybe you did not have or don't have 
a very solid relationship with your father. And when you think about trusting a father, this is just like, ah, last thing I need is to trust a dad. I understand that. And it's hard for a lot of people. But in terms of our relationship with our family, whether they be parents or guardians, those relationships are not built on rules and never have been. They're either built on blood or a promise. You were either birthed into a family or there was a legally binding promise where a family said, you will be our child and they adopted you. One or the other. It's blood or it's this binding promise. And God did both for us. He sent his son who gave all of his blood so that he could purchase us and say, I'll take him and I'll take her and I'll take him and I'll take her and I will adopt them as children, heirs to everything that I have. The relationship that God has with us is not built on following rules. It's built on whether or not we are his kids. And the way we become a follower of Jesus is by entering through his family of saying, God, I'll take you as my dad. If you are willing to purchase me, I'm, I'm coming with you. And I'll gladly leave. And I'm now bound to you by the blood of your own son, Jesus, and I'm bound to you with this promise. I'm adopted as your kid. So my encouragement for you today is to reevaluate how you view your relationship with God. Because even though you may know differently, many of you operate as if you have a relationship that's built on rules. So when you walk into God's presence, some of you feel very low and feel like, you're the worst of the kids and you're the forgotten child and you're the one that just sits at the end of the table and is quiet and tries to keep to himself because you've brought all this stuff into the relationship and you know God's got to be mad at you. God's got to be angry with you and God's got to be on his very last nerve with you and that's just not the case. And the fact that your relationship with God is built on faith alone and Christ alone means you can stand to your feet with confidence and boldness and say, God, I don't deserve you. I don't deserve what you're doing, but I will gladly accept the title of your child. And I know everybody else around may think I don't, I don't deserve to be with you. Everyone around may doubt my relationship with you, but I'm stepping into everything you're calling me to. And my past mistakes and my struggles and my current issues and my fears and my doubts and my addictions and my embarrassments and all that stuff is not going to keep me from following you because I was never saved because of that stuff in the first place. I'm not going to lose it now because of that. I'm walking with you. I'm your child. And it ought also to put some of us in our place again. Some of us who arrogantly feel like somehow heaven is blessed to have us because we've made such moral choices and we look so good and our lives seem to be so put together. God's not impressed with that because the standard was never try hard. The standard was never be better than the person you're sitting next to. The standard was always God's perfection and none of us match that. We are all, as there's, there's an old, old song I remember hearing as a kid. There's an old song that says, the ground is level at Calvary and it's level for all of us. So if you've been walking with Jesus and you, when you stub your toe, you just spit out a Bible verse, you're so holy, like it's just a thing. Well, congratulations. I'm glad you're there. And there are people you're sitting next to that say different things when they stub their toe. 
But all of us have been invited to walk step by step with the Son of God. Be called into his family. And none of us deserves it. None of us. But if you're living less than the life that God has for you because you feel like somehow you've missed the mark, it's just not true. God loves you as much as he loves the person sitting next to you. His plans are still just as real. And I went back in my mind this morning just thinking about the time in scripture where Jesus showed up with Peter. Peter did three times, said, I don't even know who he is. He literally cussed the name of Jesus. And when Jesus got together with him, he said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yeah, 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 you know I do. He said, well, then get back to work. You don't stop working just because you messed up. If you love me, then let's do this thing together. And I don't know how you viewed your relationship with God, if you feel like you're less than or feel like you deserve more, but we're all in the same spot together. And I wanna encourage you today to reestablish your relationship with God built on truth, the truth that we are saved by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, nothing else. The rules are important, but the rules do not save and never have. Thank you for joining us today. If you live in the area, we hope you will soon join us in person. If you were unable to do that, we hope you will continue to stay connected with us by following this podcast and sharing it with your friends. For more information, go to bridgeclarksville.com. 